What's going on, guys? And welcome back to the 50 Plus One Football Show, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy, and with me is a man who was so excited that Manuel Neuer made his return at the weekend. He, he watched the game in full goalkeeper kit, including goalkeeper gloves. It's Lewis. Oh, you know me too well. It was, of course, it was the new kid. I'm kidding. But yes, I did watch that match. And that will be one of our main topics, funnily enough, for today, because we're starting off with the Bundesliga. And it is, of course, Bayern's crazy match day against Darmstadt. Kane channels his inner Beckham. But then we'll also look ahead to Der Klassiker, obviously the biggest game in German football on the Bundesliga calendar. And it's coming up this weekend on the 4th of November, 6.30 kickoff. And finally, we'll have a look at the baller himself, Florian Wirtz. How high can his ceiling get? Then we'll move over to the Premier League where we'll have another look. Well, I mean, I say another look. It's basically a theme already in this season. It's Chelsea, who have again lost to Brentford. And then we'll move over to Manchester, where obviously the derby didn't really go Billy's way. And finally... We will finish this episode off with a nice little look at the Ballon d'Or. All that and more right after this. Well, you said it. We're going to have a look at Bayern's crazy match day against Darmstadt. If I was to tell you that it was nil-nil on the 50th minute, very few would believe me when I told them it finished 8-0 at full time. But that's not the whole story, is it? Because there were three clear red cards in the first half alone. Well, yeah, I mean, the three reds, I think no one's going to dispute those. All three of them are goal-scoring opportunities that were clearly uh, stopped in their tracks. So, yeah, I mean, it's crazy that three of them are happening in the first half and, you know, before the half-hour mark. But yeah, no one was going to expect Bayern to turn up like they did. And I know there were a man more, but still, you're playing 10 against 9. It doesn't scream 8-0. But I think it's very telling of Bayern and their mentality to say, you know what, we're going to keep our foot on the gas and keep pulverizing them until the final minute. Because they could just as well have said, yeah, no biggie. Um, two nil. That'll do against Darmstadt. I mean, they've just been newly promoted. We've got a midweek game in the in the Dave People Cup. We've got their Classica at the at in a week's time. We could take in our foot off the gas, but they just kept on going. And I think two protagonists in that were, of course, Sane and Kane, who between them had seven goal involvements well before we talk about harry kane another hat trick to his name and i do believe the first player to score 12 goals in his first 10 bundesliga matches as well correct let's just give some plaudits to leroy sane because he did struggle when he joined Bayern. yeah from manchester city but he's now having his best scoring season in the Bundesliga and it's only just ticked over into November. I was about to say, if he keeps going like this, he'll be at 20 goals, maybe more at the end of the season. 
And that would be an insane tally. And it would finally, you know, it would finally be Sané showing his true form and what he can do. And, you know, we've always said the potential is there, but he, he hasn't fully shown it yet. And I think this season, you can't ask for more from Leroy Sané at the minute. I think we're seeing the Leroy Sané that we saw when he joined Manchester City and he yeah. won the PFA Young Player of the Year. Exactly. What's the reason for the change? Have you noticed anything as, you know, someone who is in and around the German media? Is there any particular reason that people are are trying to quote or come up with? Well, I don't know if there's a particular reason that, you know, pundits are coming up with, but Thomas Tuchel himself said, because he was asked exactly that, um, Thomas Tuchel himself said, you know, we just gave him a clear position and, you know, the position that he likes to be in the most. And he's and he's being played very wide, which obviously gives him more space. And I think that was the main thing because Leroy Sané has always been or a lot of people were like, yeah, you know what? He could play anywhere in that attacking front three um, behind the striker, obviously. And it was always kind of like, yeah, he would sometimes be played on the wrong side. And I think now it's just the fact that he has a clear position. He's being, he's being given, you know, all the freedoms that that position allows and a manager who's just backing him a hundred percent. I'm not saying Nagelsmann didn't do that, but I think, Leroy Sané is one of those sensitive players. He needs to be, you know, handled a little bit with velvet gloves. He's not a player who will respond well to tough love in that sense. And I think right now it's just one of the things that Tulha has done very well is figure out how to get the best out of Leroy Sané. Well, there we go. That's one player who's doing fantastically well for Bayern at the moment. Let's talk about Harry Kane because I think everyone expected it to go well. Did people expect it to go this well? He's not top scorer in the league. Let's let's not. He's let's not one goal off. Yeah, but let's not discount Sarah Gurassi. who is injured now for a for the better part of the next month and a half. Exactly. So there'll be no more goals for Gurassi. So Kane now has a chance to put some distance between himself and the Stuttgart striker. His other two goals were good, but can we just talk about? The one from inside his own half, please. Well, I mean, he's obviously watched the David Beckham documentary, hasn't he? The of best part was David Beckham actually tweeted that, and Harry Kane then re like reposted it on um on on his Instagram story, and it was like respect, like game recognizes game. It was such a great moment because I mean, obviously, if you haven't watched the David Beckham documentary, go watch it because I think it actually is you know a pretty pretty good documentary. But yeah, it starts off, I think that's like one of the first couple of scenes in that whole documentary is David Beckham's halfway goal um, or goal from the halfway line against Wimbledon. West. Wimbledon. Oh, there you go. But we're not talking about David Beckham's goal from the halfway line because Harry Kane's was even, well, I mean, I've. Eh, it's hard to pick out who's is better. I don't think we need to do that. But to have the vision, so many players have done that. And it's, I believe the third or fourth longest range goal in the Bundesliga history. I've said it before on this podcast and I'll say it again. Harry Kane is proving why he is worth the hundred plus million that Bayern spent on him. And uh, for those of you playing at home, 
the longest goal in Bundesliga history was scored on the 20th of September 2014. Moritz Camp to put Paderborn 2-0 up against Hanover from 90 yards. 83 metres, yeah. So there we go. But yeah, Harry Kane is proving worth every single penny. I think goals is, is, is a given with Harry Kane. Yeah. I think the only way you'll truly understand or truly know the, the value or whether he's met that valuation is come the end of the season when you're counting how much you've won. Because the league is yeah. looking very tight this season. We'll talk about Leverkusen and even Dortmund again in a second. But Champions League, again, always going by Munich as sort of top five favourites. And yeah, now with Harry been. Kane and the way that Zane's playing and now Manuel Neuer's back, you know, qualified anyway for the knockout stages. So I wouldn't play him in the knockout in the remaining games of the group stage. Keep him safe and wrapped in cotton wool for the for the knockout stages in the new year. Uh, you say that, though, because I would say the exact opposite. He needs to get game time. He needs to get back in that routine of playing every three days because there have been some arguments that Kimmich's red card was because Noya played a ball into Kimmich that he shouldn't have played in the first place. I would say yes and no. The ball isn't the best, but a player of Kimmich's skill and level should know better than to start dribbling in front of his own penalty area. But that just goes to show that I think even a player of Noya's ability, and it, he did pull off one amazing one-on-one -on -one save uh, in that match as well. But still, a player of his ability is going to need the time to get back into the swing of things. You know, he was out for the better part of 10 months, almost 11. And no, that's... That's that's the wrong answer. You're supposed to say yes. Bayern will field a heavily weakened team when they visit Old Trafford on match day six of the Champions League group stage. Because well, there's no way United are qualifying because there's no way they're going to beat Galatasaray in Turkey and probably lose to Copenhagen. Well, Copenhagen. I mean, to be fair, Bayern looked very shaky against Galatasaray in that first half as well. You saw the game as well. It It, it didn't look good. Galatasaray had a, well, I'd say they, they were definitely winning in terms of chances created. They just should, if they had finished it, Bayern would have seen their first loss in the group stages in God knows how many games because they're the record holders for that in, in the, in recent years. But I think the, the main thing that we have to look at coming back to the Bundesliga is yes, the title race could be very, very tight. But Bayern aren't the clear favorites anymore, especially when you look at their games. They've already played two of arguably the three top teams that they'll face in Leipzig and Leverkusen this season. And there were both draws where Bayern went behind and had to, you know, figure out how to come back. And they weren't dominating either team. You know, it's all well and good thrashing Darmstadt 8-0, but if you can't really show Leverkusen and Leipzig, yeah, this is, you know, the level you need to be at if you want to compete for the title, which they definitely didn't do, then I'd argue 
this title race is far, far, far tighter than even last season. Well, before we talk about that, let's just give a little round of applause to Thomas Muller. Not happy about constantly being on the bench this season. Is that a contract in 2024? But now holds the record for Bayern for scoring in 15 consecutive Bundesliga seasons. Yeah, if he wants to uh, hold the all-time record, that will be 16 consecutive seasons, um, which I believe he can do. But I think the the stat that we need to look at even more is the 500 goal involvements and 450 appearances for Bayern. Of course, this is across all competitions, but still. 500 goal involvements and 450 appearances. Thomas Müller has to be the most underrated player of our generation. Yeah, I don't know why, because he's got everything. He's a personality. He runs, which... he runs weird and, and scores goals with his shoulder and with his knee and with his hip, and it doesn't look pretty. That's why. He has no it, – it's because he – it goes back to that argument that you always bring. It's because he's not a good FIFA player. It's an argument I bring. It's not an argument I, I support. I'm not saying he's bad because he's bad in in a video game. I think it should be the. No, I know, but I think no, but but, but no, you are you are a hundred percent right with that. Just because he's not good in a in a video game, a younger generation of, of football fan don't rate him, which goes for a lot of players actually, which I think is yeah, yeah disgusting. But anyway, let's keep talking about Bayern, but let's add Borussia Dortmund into this because next weekend or this weekend coming, I should say, it is Der Klassiker. Bayern, despite going in off the back of an 8-0 win, no Yosua Kimmich, yeah. not clear favourites after struggling against the top teams like you've already said. Exactly. And, you know, looking at Dortmund, they've definitely shown that this season it's more of a team of, you know, managing to grind out the results, which I think we've definitely criticised them for in previous seasons. But, you know, you look at some of the results they get, and it's it's not pretty, but they get the three points on the board. And, um, you know, with the with the exception of the 3-3 draw last weekend against Frankfurt, they've won every one of their last five matches. So if they're the more informed team, arguably yes, arguably no, because... Anyone who says Bayern aren't in form after an 8-0 win. But on the other hand, Bayern won 8-0 against a team that were newly promoted and were down a man for the majority of the game. And like we've said, we said the the top teams caused Bayern to struggle. So I don't know. Obviously, I'm not going to go against my team, but my personal opinion, it could be a 2-2 draw. I don't know. I, the way they seem to manage that game away at Newcastle changed my opinion on this game because yeah. New, Newcastle away, particularly in a, in a Champions League setting, it, it sounded volatile. Oh, 100%. And they managed it really well. They were better than Newcastle for most of that game. Also and, got a nice little nice little ticket on their, uh, on their team bus for parking illegally. Well, exactly. <laughs> but they did really well on the counter, which they're going to have to do here because Bayern are going to have most of the ball. Yeah. The likes yeah. of Daniel Marlin, who's now started to find himself, you know, even Yusuf and Makoko scoring at the weekend, 
I know he's a bit hit and miss sometimes, but he is still quite young. They could properly hit you with a sucker punch here. Oh, 100%. And like I said, you know, Leipzig, similar in their playing style. Bayern struggled, especially in the first half of that game. Um, they didn't really figure it out until the second half. And I think especially with the way that they have been defensively shaky this season, a counterattacking team like Dortmund could very well be their undoing. The reason that I'm going for the draw is because I know Bayern's defense is shaky, but it's just the quality up front that is going to save them at least a point in this match because I just think there's no getting around the fact that Kane and Sané, that duo, is the most prolific in the Bundesliga or one of the most prolific. Yeah, I'm, I'm not arguing with that. I just think... The way it's set up that Bayern are going to have all of the ball, they'll give it away foolishly to somebody stupid. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Mats Hummels will pick out a long pass to Daniel Marlin and he'll square it back to Marcel Sabitzer. Sabitzer will turn to the Bayern bench, put his arms out wide and just cup his ears and then hush the crowd. Yes, 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 yes. Well, he won't hush the crowd because they're playing at home. Well, but... <laughs> exactly, but it would just turn to the Bayern bench and hush Thomas Tuchel. It's a, it's a nice little picture you paint there, Bill, but I'm still sure that Kane and Sané will will have their fair their fair share of goal involvements. That which is why I'm I'm still I'm sticking to it. 2-2 is my prediction. But what would you say? I'm going to say I'm going to say it's going to be 2-1 to Dortmund. Ooh, you're going to get hit on the counter, both goals. You think that Dortmund will keep Bayern at bay, especially with their attacking output in the last couple of yeah, matches? I'm going off law of averages here. Oh. You're due a shocker. <laughs> so hopefully it comes against... Well, hopefully it comes against us in the Champions League, but hopefully it will come this weekend and I'll be right. But let us know what you think the score will be ahead of Der Klassiker. Will Dortmund finally upset Bayern once again? But before we move on to the Premier League, let's talk about an underrated rising star. Let's put it that way. In Bayer Leverkusen's Florian Wirtz. Yeah, I think the reason he's underrated is because he's just getting buried by the absolute multitude of Bellingham and Muziala posts. Because... You know, we've, we've already agreed upon it. I think most football fans would agree as well that Muziala and uh, Bellingham are, you know, behind Mbappe and Haaland, probably the most, trying to think of superlatives to, to describe them with. They're probably the, you know, in there with the future Ballon d'Or winners if they keep up the trajectory that they are on. Yeah, almost the uh, Benzema and Modric to the Messi and Ronaldo of this generation. And I'd argue that if Mbappe doesn't get out of the French League soon, he can kiss his Ballon d'Or dreams goodbye. We'll see. But we're not here to talk about Mbappe. We're here to talk about Verts. A fantastic goal against SC Freiburg, which <laughs> spawned some fantastic reactions from both Xabi Alonso and Christian Strike who Christian Strike could only laugh and just say, wow. Because that's what it was. It was just, wow. 
Yeah, I mean the best part is uh, seeing seeing fans on on Instagram and Twitter being like, "Oh, well, that defending was shit." You know, it's it's obvious he it's the defending from the Bundesliga. It's a farmers league, and I'm just sitting there going, "Some people really just can't deal with the fact that the Bundesliga boasts more talent than any other league, except maybe the Premier League." It's just Florian Wirtz is such a gifted player. And the way he spins three defenders in the run-up to that goal. He is exceptional. It is It is just exceptional, exactly. You know, I know that La Liga boasts the talent, you know, that um, Real Madrid and Barcelona have, but oh, Florian Wirtz is an underrated shooting star, put it that way. Well, there was talk in the summer just gone that Man City wanted him. Yeah. And if he if he does go to Man City, I will weep uncontrollably. <laughs> but the other one, which I think would annoy a tremendous amount of people, would be if he went to Bayern. Which there has been a lot of talk of because, you know, obviously he fits the classic top player, German national, young as well, but already, you know, has the talent and the skill to play at a club like Bayern. Think of anything that would have to do with a duo of Musiala and Wirtz on the number 10 position. You play in a 4-1-4-1. If they could get the balance right on that, obviously it would make the, the midfield a little bit harder uh, to manage because you'd have you know your defensive midfielders a little bit problematic. But Musiala and Wirtz running at you. Yeah, okay. It's, it, it might work for Germany, but... I don't think that would work in a in a buying setup. You need one hell of a defensive midfielder because that would be the most unbalanced oh, yeah. midfield in the world. Oh, one hundred percent. You wouldn't. It would just have to be you know the Casimiro to the Modric in course situation. It would it would have to be that. The other scenario, which has been thrown about around by Didi Haman in recent weeks, is that because Muziala has always said the Premier League is an attractive league. Obviously, he's focused 100% on Bayern right now. But because of his ties to the UK, um, because he spent so much time in the Chelsea youth setup, I think there is still a genuine chance that a team like Man City, like Liverpool, just one of the teams that can throw around 100 to 150 million will go in for him at some point, and he will think about it. And when that time comes, Florian Wirtz will replace Musiala at Bayern. That would be scenario number two. I'd argue almost that's the more likely one. And you could maybe argue if that might be the smarter option at Bayern because Wirtz is more of your player who tries to produce and feed the players around him rather than Muziala also creating more on his own, so to speak. Yeah, well, we'll have to see because he is a fantastic rising star. But let's leave the Bundesliga for now and let's talk about the Premier League. So we did say that we've had a lot of Chelsea topics, but they just keep giving us more and more. And their latest loss to Brentford means that their home woes continue, don't they, Billy? They do. The home woes. Stanford Bridge, not a happy place for Chelsea at the moment. 
but it's the misfiring forward players I think that we need to talk about a little bit more because 17 shots on goal only two on target for Chelsea whereas Brentford had seven on goal with five on target losing to obviously scoring from two of those shots now one of them came right at the very end Robert Sanchez was up for a, a corner the ball fell to Neil Mope yeah yeah who, I mean that's a free goal you know hasn't scored himself for 39 matches for both Everton and Brentford obviously only just rejoining Brentford from Everton but he chose to pass to Brian and Buemo rather unselfishly and you know good for my dream team I was about to say my fantasy team thank uh thank me for that <laughs> My fantasy team thanks Neil Mope, even if I do think he's a little rat. But what is the problem? We've said this before. What is the problem at Chelsea? There is a multitude of problems at Chelsea. And we will get our Chelsea man back on at some point to talk us through this because it'll be the third time we'll get him on and it'll be a third different manager. That we I get mean, to that's a track record in and of itself because, I mean, just going back to the home woes, for instance, three losses, two draws, and one home win. And that one home win came against newly promoted Luton Town. That is an outrageously shocking home record, if you think about it. You know, think about the fact that Jose Mourinho, also while at Chelsea, barely ever, if he ever did, lose a home game and now Chelsea are going to have having just one win that's one win in six that's nothing yeah we mentioned it after the two all draw with with Arsenal so we won't harp on about this because there are other things to discuss but I know they spent a horrendous amount of money on Enzo Fernandez and Moises Caicedo we've seen what Caicedo can do at Brighton so let's not you know I don't want to get into a habit of writing a player off before he's had a proper chance to prove it you give them at least a season possibly a season and a half maybe two but you look at the impact that Declan Rice has had at Arsenal and yeah. you know even more so the the uh, impact that Jude Bellingham has had at Real Madrid a cheaper midfielder than both Enzo Fernandez and Declan Rice, eighty-eight million pounds. Exactly. You know, has got. It's just won the the Golden Boy Award at the Ballon d'Or ceremony. He was, you know, Real Madrid were one 0 down in El Clasico away at Barcelona. He scores an absolute screamer to level the game, and then he's the only player alive in a box to win it with the almost the last kick of the game. Yeah. You know, this is a, an expensive midfielder making an impact and changing games. Declan Rice changed the way Arsenal plays. You know, he scored the goal that got them back in it against Chelsea. You know, it, yeah, okay, it was a, it was a mostly open goal, but he took it first time, and you have seen players miss those. And as as good as they are, as, as much as people might like them, and as much as people might rate Fernandez and Caicedo, they're not having that impact at the moment. None of the Chelsea midfielders are having that impact at the moment. I'd argue that it's probably more down to their environment than their skill level, but we've both said it as good as they are. They aren't worth the prices 
or the price tags that they did get eventually. And, you know, it just begs the question, do you think that those two, especially those two players, will be able to have an impact as long as Chelsea remain in the current state that they are in? They already have tried to switch managers. It hasn't worked. What would, in your opinion, be the biggest missing puzzle piece for Chelsea right now? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. But, you know, 17 shots on goal, only two on target. Yeah, okay, they brought Nicholas Jackson in, but the more I watch him, the more average I think he is. So a striker then? I don't want to keep harping on about it, but you know, a, a genuine striker. And the market is so thin at the moment, you've either got the choice, do you pay 140 million euros for Victor Oshiman yeah. from Napoli? Do you pay the 90 million euros that Juventus want for Dusan Vlahovic? Do you take a punt on Seru Garassi when he's fit? He's got a 14 million pound release clause in January. I'd argue that that's probably their best bet. You know, they've got Armando Brozia, who's just come back from his injury, and he did score against Fulham away. But he's not made much of an impact since then. I don't know. It's one of those ones we will have to talk to Louis in a in a specific Chelsea episode and get an inside view on this, and we will sort that at some point. But let's leave one club in blue with home problems. Let's move to a team in red who seems to have problems everywhere home away training it, it does fill you with uh with rage. a certain certain joy doesn't it bill rage <laughs> unprecedented levels of rage although i will say this before i get into this i watched it in a pub and wasn't too annoyed because i was just expecting it the attitude i went into that game with was let's just get this over and done with because you've got to play them twice in the season, uh, which from a United perspective is probably something that people never thought would happen. From a City perspective is something that they've been expecting for a while. That the, the power has shifted, let's be honest. I was about to say, because who was commentating that game? Was it Peter Drury by any chance? It was, it was Peter Drury. And before you make your point on that, uh, let me just find Clive Tildesley's um tweet because he came across i love him so much you know champions league nights on itv massive part of my footballing childhood um, <laughs> but the tweet sounded so salty so i think it must have been about an hour before the game it's like anyone else could manage to watch a big football match without an overture from an urban poet right about now i was like oh okay Oh, someone's not happy about you know his lack of work these days. But... Oof, that's a big oof. Well, the man who seems to, at least in his eyes, be stealing from his workload, Peter Drury said it. I think I think it was so fitting, and I know this fills you with all kinds of negative emotions, but. He was quoted, or he quoted Sir Alex Ferguson when he left, and he because 
uh, oh, I know, asked. I know, I know the quote. He was asked exactly. He was, he was asked. Guy Mowbray from about four or five years ago. Exactly, and it's an old. Uh, I know, SAF I was asked exactly. If, exactly, SAF was asked if the power would ever shift in the opposite direction, and he said, "Not in my lifetime." And then, to add insult to injury, now Peter Drury said, "Now it's every time." It was so. It must just be a gut punch for every United fan going when you hear stuff like that because it's a it's a gut punch, but it's fucking true. Oh, and 100 is. But that's the thing: if you had asked any United fan in 2013, is there ever going to be a power shift? Even though you had the Sergio Aguero moment in 2011, you had Man City on the up and up. If you asked any United fan, they still would have told you not a chance not a chance and now it just completely has shifted because argue arguably you've never had a proper title charge save for under Mourinho getting second Stephen that was like 19 points behind City and exactly exactly and that wasn't really a title charge so arguably since the last Premier League title a total of almost 10 years ago or no more than 10 years ago now yeah United have not been a serious contender no, and two things, just two things here. Okay, so Pep Guardiola was asked what the difference is, and he said that him and the club are of one mind. They're in one direction, Ooh. and they have, yeah, you know, cohesion with it, which is a bit of a dig, uh, because there is no cohesion. There is multiple minds at work at United, none yeah. of which are on the same page of, of different books. They're not even reading the same book on different pages. You know, recruitment's reading an idiot's guide to purchasing the coach is reading how to play football for dummies and the fucking commercial side of reading i don't know i mean it's very telling it's very telling when eric ten hag is asked post-match why was baran not and he says tactics <laughs> there's just no re- there's no reason why Moran should be left on the bench. He's pro he, he has to arguably your arguably be your best defender. And he's leaving him on the bench and he's saying tactics. That's all he says. I mean, let's be honest, it's because he's injured. Let's be honest, it's just because he's injured tactics is another way of saying he felt something in training and i don't want to injure him further because people are just gonna bitch and complain hope. about you would hope but at this point i wouldn't put anything past eric ten Hag because i still believe as much as i think he has you know the right idea at heart of how to turn united around his execution with the way he especially and it just keeps coming back to me i have to say his his handling of the Ronaldo situation, oh, mate. Let it go. It just, let it go. Let it, it yeah, but go. It, still, it's really, it still, it still just show. It still goes to show that he hasn't really gotten the full handle, and that he does make some decisions which are more than questionable, and they hurt United. It can't just be the squad of players that you've got, because I'm like not- we said, we said it a thousand times. Steven Gerrard had the same crop of players as Unai Emery did at Aston Villa, and he managed to get a totally different 
level of play out of the same squad. I believe that if you had the right manager at United at some point, he would be able to get a tune out because, you know, this brings me to the. Oh, that, okay, no, okay. Before you, okay, talk, okay. I'll let I'll let you. I'll, I'll hear a rebuttal to that. I'll hear before before you talk sad statistics. Before you talk goals and assists. Before you talk stats. Allow me my rebuttal. You say when the right manager is in there eventually. Who, at the moment, who is feasibly gettable, would you say is the right manager? Because in my eyes, there isn't a feasibly gettable manager out there right now. So you stick with Eric Ten Hag or what? You sack him and give it back to Oli for six months. I mean... And then that possibly is, that wait would... for somebody... Zidane already turned United down, so it won't be Zinedine Zidane. People are saying Roberto De Zerbi want their fucking head checking because he's not going to join what is, let's be honest, a sinking ship at this point. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm, I have to give you some credit and say, yeah, Ten Hag is probably the best option you can get right now, but I still think that he's made some mistakes. I would, like, I'm still going to criticize but yes, at the minute, that's probably the best you're going to get. You can criticize all you want, but when most of his, you know, when more than half of his transfers have been free or loans, that is not a manager's problem. That is a business put problem from the people higher up. So when they sort their wow. shit out up top, fine, fine. Blame the manager all you want. I'm not going to sit here and criticize that, that manager. Yeah, but wouldn't you... But wouldn't you say that Anthony and Sancho have both been Ten Hag pushed buys? No, Ten Hag was, uh, sorry, Jaden Sancho was not only going to Solskjaer player. Anthony, yeah, okay, I'm done with Anthony. After that lash out against Doku on Sunday. I'm oh my God, that was, oh, I'm, it was, I'm done with it. But we still have to talk about the Ballon d'Or. So by all means, yeah, go ahead with your... I'm I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stop with about. I'm not gonna give you uh, the the platform on the Ballon d'Or until I get off these stats because in the Premier League this season there have been, let's put it this way, six attacking players, five with an asterisk because Jaden Sancho has played a total of seventy six minutes in the Premier League this season. But those other five players, Rashford, Anthony, Hoyland, Garnacho, and Martial, have all played. A lot more than 76 minutes, up to 400 minutes in some cases. And the only player who has a goal and an assist is Rashford. All the rest, literally, there are, you're talking binary here for all of your attacking players. That's their statistic for this thing. So it's a definite, at some point you have to start questioning the manager when your attacking output is literally a goal and an assist this Premier League season. McTominay is the only re is like your lifeline at this point. Okay, a, a, a second rebuttal. Is it the manager's fault that players can't finish from inside the 18-yard the box? Is it the manager's fault that players can't seem to cross to find players in the box? Is it the manager's fault that once the players go onto the pitch, they seem to play like blind people with no legs. Well, yes, no disrespect no, to the blind or those with no legs. Yeah, okay, but at the end of the day, the manager is he's he's training them. He's looking at why he should be looking at why your players aren't managing to cross a ball into the box and find someone there. 
at some point you have to look a little bit at the manager. I do realize that once the players are on the pitch, the manager can do very little, but on the training pitch. Yeah, but you see, you, they post videos on the training pitch and of course, every single shot goes in. When it comes to the weekend, it's like they've forgotten how to play football. That is not a manager's problem. That is a player's problem. But we you cannot blame been... the manager. You cannot blame the manager. Yeah, but we've also been through that a lot of what players are dealing with mentally can affect them on the pitch. And that a manager can also manage, if you will, of how a player's mental state is. If a player has like a 15-pound rucksack on the whole time, then of course he's not going to play well and he's not going to finish the chances that he's getting. And that, to a certain extent, is down to the manager as well. I'm not saying Ten Hag is solely responsible for the fact that United are having a little bit of a crisis because there's definitely issues where you're also thinking on the pitch like, Jesus Christ, you should be doing that. And I'm wholeheartedly with you, but I'm saying you can't just say the manager has just got a crap crop of players to deal with and that he's doing the best he can because, you know, he's still the manager. He still has influence. Can we talk about the Ballon d'Or, please? You've broken me. I've broken... Okay, okay. You've, you've broken me. Well... Actually, no. Manchester <laughs> United have broken me. You've I was just to say. sort of swept up the pieces. Well, one one little ray of hope was the fact that Onana has sorted out his, you know, his goalkeeping errors and was actually the best player on the pitch for United during that Manchester derby, even though he led in three. It would oh, have been yeah, a whole but, lot more. But one of them was a penalty. I'm not going to get into the penalty thing because I've had arguments about this already. But one of them was a penalty that was never a penalty because... I'm sorry. that was No, not no. No, no. I'm sorry. You can't say that was that, never a penalty. If that, if, that is, if that is a penalty, you give them every single time. Okay? I want to see them given every single time. Every single time. So when Gabriel did it to Hoyland against Arsenal, that should have been a penalty then, should it? Thank you very much. Cheers, Lewis. Yeah. yeah. But I want to see them given every single time. Don't just give them when it suits you. Uh, the second one, I mean, fuck me. Is no one going to pick him up? He's their most dangerous player. <laughs> you give him a free header twice. Twice he had a free header. Once just before halftime, and he saved it fantastically. I don't know what or how, but he saved it. The second time, oh, uh, oh. Uh, uh, uh. And the third one, yeah, fine, fuck it. We'd lost the game long long before that anyway. But anyway, Manchester City are fantastic. United are utter shit. But let's talk about the Ballon d'Or because that really will just not rile me up or just calm me down fantastically. Because it's just... <laughs> I was calm before we started this. I'm now riled up and angry. I was... Have you, got a pulse, have you got a pulse reader for us real quick? No, I don't. I haven't got a watch on. Sorry. Oh, but it's, no. it's up there. I can tell you it's up there. <laughs> it's up there. I was well, less like angry a, watching the game live. It's not going to go down anytime soon because the Ballon d'Or just went to show us again. Oh, he, his eyes are already twitching. The Ballon d'Or has already shown us again that it's just a plain popularity contest. Because at the end of the day, Messi won it. Everyone practically knew that he was going to win it, you know, days, weeks in advance. But it was officially confirmed. Um, I'm sorry. A good World Cup does not give you 
the license to win the best player of the previous season because what he did at Paris was eh, and what he has done since at Miami is about as good as what Ronaldo has done at Al Nasser, and it can be weighted as such because both leagues do not deserve to be judged in a contest such as the Ballon d'Or. I'm sorry, you should not be anywhere near Ballon d'Or contention if what you're doing is in a subpar league. And both players have been playing in a subpar league. Messi's been playing in a subpar league for six months out of that whole year on which he's supposed to be judged. And, you know, a World Cup, we've said it so often, a World Cup is seven games max. And if a player is judged on how well he plays seven games out of a whole season or a whole year, better said, that's BS. There is no reason why Messi should have won other than the fact that FIFA love Messi and that it's just great PR. I think, okay, yeah, Argentina won the World Cup. Fantastic, well done. Come again in four years' time. But Haaland broke God knows how many goal-scoring records last season. Exactly. Scored a thousand goals, it felt like. Every time he took a shot, it felt like it went in. But not only that, Man City won the treble. So, anyway, what did what did Kylian Mbappe win? Why was he third? French league, that's about it. <laughs> Great, fantastic. I know Rodri and De Bruyne were fourth and fifth respectively, but you know, they should have been third and fourth respectively. Should have been well, in an ideal world, it would have been Haaland, De Bruyne, then Messi, say for for example. But yeah. I don't know. It's a popularity parade. It's I mean, I I was done with the Ballon d'Or as a as a serious contest in 2020 when they just didn't award it when it would have been Lewandowski that won it. So exactly. I mean, there's there's a reason FIFA have split. Yeah. From France football. And we spoke about this when Lewandowski didn't win it years ago now. But there was that I can't remember he's an Eastern European journalist. And someone asked him why they didn't vote for Lewandowski. And he's like, well, I, I just haven't seen any. I, I think it was actually them. even an Argentinian journalist. And, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I don't watch any of, of Bayern Munich's matches. I don't watch exactly. any of Lewandowski playing football, so I can't. Oh, okay, fine. Fine. Exactly. And I mean, just just to uh, say, I accidentally said FIFA Ballon d'Or, I believe. It, of course, is the France Ballon d'Or, um, France football Ballon d'Or. Um, but I'd argue even... Even FIFA, they love they love Messi. But at the end of the day, yeah, if FIFA, who love Messi as much as they do, are splitting away from the Ballon d'Or, then that should give you some sort of, yeah, some some sort of uh, justification as to why that contest is just you know it's not worth looking at. Um, you say Haaland scored so many goals. He scored two in the Manchester Derby, just to come back to that quickly. Is the narrative of the Tappan Merchant justified? Because that is what a lot of fans are using as an argument for why Haaland didn't deserve the Ballon d'Or. 
get fucked. Like that's what are you are you taking the piss? I'm just asking. I, I'm just asking you if, it, if it's justified. I definitely don't think it is. But... No, it's not. It's not justified <laughs> because he's so much more than that. One, you have to have the attacking intelligence to be in those positions in the first place to lose a man, yeah. to be able to be free in the first place. I'm. I'm. I just. Ah. Oh, I'm fucking. I'm fed up of football now. Just to add insult to injury, I show speed filmed himself being there the whole time how he got an invite don't ask but it just goes to show that you know producing clicks with bs content will always get you further in life than actually producing real content i have no words why is he there it's a it should be a serious footballing event influencers shouldn't be there or if they are they shouldn't be down front row they should be His stuck 21 million followers obviously were something that France football loved to have there. So I, I don't care. I do not care. And as for the, the rapper, I can't remember who it was, ignoring the female players. Fine. Great. Fantastic. What an arsehole. I think on that note, we'll leave it for this week. And because of course, the vein in my head is about to <laughs> pop. Exactly. We do not want Billy to have a brain aneurysm, so we're going to let him calm down for a little bit. And hopefully you guys will all remember to like, share, and subscribe to 50 Plus One Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out the 50 Plus One Football Show on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. But Thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.